Well, hello there, and welcome to, finally, episode 5 of Animal Nutrition Wizard. I know it's been a bit, there's been a lot going on, not that that's any excuse, um, but I'm finally getting to part 2 of How to Read a Heckin' Food Label. And I just want to, uh, really quickly, as just sort of a side note, because of the times we're living in right now, say that I hope you are doing okay, I hope you're safe, that your family is okay and safe, and that you are um, doing what you can to remain that way. Um, it's It's been a pretty crazy year, 2020 has, and it's been the hardest year for some of us. Um, for me, it's been both the hardest and one of the most rewarding in my life. So <laughs> we'll see what happens in 2021. And I want to say um, happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving, Christmas, and whatever you may or may not celebrate um, during the holiday season. Uh, stay safe, stay warm, and I hope you can, in the meantime, enjoy my podcast. So again, this is part two of how to read a heckin' food label for episode five, and I'm going to sort of pick up where I left off talking about um, meat meals versus meat. Um, so you may hear a little bit um, of repetition here, but uh, for me, it's been a while since I made the last episode. So if you're listening to this right after you listen to the first one, um, maybe take like a quick coffee break or go play a video game for a minute and then come back and it won't feel so repetitive. Um, unless you don't mind that, in which case, please feel free to continue listening right now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to jump into it. Okay, so jumping into meat versus meat meal. Meat meal listed like lamb meal, chicken meal, or beef meal, for example, is basically highly concentrated, highly processed or rendered meat that is dehydrated, containing approximately 5% moisture and 70% protein. Meat, which will be simply listed like lamb, chicken, or beef, is wet, containing 70% water and roughly only about 12% protein. When meat is cooked in the extrusion process, the moisture is removed, uh, resulting in a very small percentage of meat in the total makeup of the finished pet food, meaning a very small percentage of protein uh, is able to come from that meat. That is why I actually prefer to see in a kibble or a canned food both meat and meat meal in a non-ambiguous form. Uh, because the meat meal can provide upwards of 300% more meat-based protein than the meat alone. Listing meat as the first ingredient with no other meat or meat meal following it will generally mean that your dog is actually eating a largely plant-based diet. Many pet food manufacturers are aware of this trick and will use the stigma against the term meat meal to essentially convince pet owners that their plant-based diet is superior to a diet that uses meat meal because you will only see meat listed at the top of the ingredient deck. That is a widespread tactic and one that unfortunately fools a lot of well-meaning pet owners into feeding their dogs a plant-based diet when they believe they're feeding their dog a largely meat-based diet. What about byproducts, you ask? Well, briefly, 
uh, I would avoid ambiguous meat meals, as I um, had, uh, you know, implied in my previous episode. Uh, meat meals that say something like animal meal or byproduct meal or chicken byproduct meal. This is basically the manufacturer of the pet food admitting that at any given moment. They cannot tell you exactly what part of what animal is in that bag of food. You should not find this acceptable. That being said, what is a byproduct? Is it a bad thing? Not necessarily. It's only a bad thing when a company is choosing to be vague about it. Byproducts are not inherently evil, they're just animal parts, which is what your dog or cat is designed to eat. It's other animals, because they're predators. Sorry. Um, They can be parts of the animal that are very nutritious, uh, mostly organ meats like liver, lung, heart, intestines, even eyeballs are nutritious, even as gross as that sounds, but you generally won't find those listed in your pet food, so don't, don't freak out. Those are all internal body parts that are very good for you and full of vitamins and minerals. Uh, but there can also be less nutritious, less valuable, and harder to digest body parts uh, that are also included as byproducts. So like beaks, feathers, feet. You may see specific organ meats listed in a high quality raw or canned food, and that is generally desirable. Um, but you may also find unknown byproducts being referred to in an inferior dry food. That is the difference between byproducts that you want and ones that you will wish to forgo. Here's another tricky one that surprises people when I tell them about it uh, or we start talking about it. Dry matter analysis. What the heck is dry matter analysis? Uh, It's basically performing an analysis on the food to remove the moisture content uh, from your determination of how much of another ingredient is actually in the food. So um, one way I've explained this before is uh, if you're trying to look at the difference between a wet food and a dry food, you're going to have to do a dry matter analysis because they're both providing uh, the ingredient percentages in terms of volume, but they're not taking into account that the volume of a, a can of cat, uh, a can of food has 70% water content in it. So you're, they're not actually looking at the percentage of uh, protein, fat, and fiber in the food uh, within the can. Um, another way to look at it is, say you have um, 100% ingredients and 70% of those ingredients is just water. You're going to want to take out the water so you can determine how much of the other ingredients you actually have. So essentially dry matter, uh, the, the way that you would go through and do it is you would do the dry matter equals 100% minus moisture. Uh, then you take the percent of the nutrient divided by dry matter times 100 equals the percent of dry matter of nutrient of interest. So 100% minus 10% moisture in a kibble will be 90%. Uh, Dry matter in a kibble is pretty much always going to be 90%. So it's almost not even necessary to do a dry matter analysis in a kibble because it's so dry. Um, But if you wanted to, just to sort of experiment and make sure you have um, as 
accurately as possible comparison between one dry food and, an, and another type of food, you can do that. Um, so you can generally start with 90% dry matter in a kibble. In a kibble that is guaranteed, say, 24% protein, in order to determine how much protein is actually in there, you'll do 24, uh, which is a percentage of protein, divided by 90, which is a percentage of dry matter, which will equal 0.266. And then you multiply that amount by 100 uh, to get 26.6% dry matter of protein. Or basically, you can just look at the number after the decimal. 0.266 is going to be roughly 26%. So in a dry food that has 10% moisture, it'll show you that it has a 24% guaranteed protein. It probably actually has closer to almost 27% protein. It's not a drastic increase when you're talking about protein, um, but it could be a drastic increase when you're talking about fat content, uh, which is why I will generally recommend not suddenly switching over from one food to another where the fat content goes up by even 3%. It doesn't sound like much, but it is. So let's look at a can of wet food. Most cans um, are roughly 70% moisture. This is already an improvement from dry food because it's a moisture-rich diet that will assist greatly in keeping your pet hydrated and moisture aids in all aspects of digestion. So in a can with only 30% dry matter, because you're subtracting the 70% water from 100%, um, you can figure out how much actual protein is in the food of the can uh, by doing a simple dry matter analysis. If your can says it has 9% protein, which at first glance looks like a very small amount compared to um, looking at the guaranteed analysis on most dry foods, you'll want to actually divide 9, which is the 9% protein, by 30, which is the 30% dry matter, to get a percentage of 30%. So in this case, you do 9 divided by 30 equals 0 0.30, multiplied by 100 equals 30. Again, you can just look at the decimal and sort of remove the decimal. And if you have 0.30, it's going to be 30 or 30%. So when you're comparing a canned food that says that it has 9% moisture to a dry food that says it has 24% moisture and you're not doing a dry matter analysis, it's going to look like that dry food has a lot more protein. But if you perform the dry matter analysis, um, which many vets are actually um, aware of this and how to do it, um, you can also find websites that will do it for you, but um, the math is available to anyone who wants to do it by hand. Uh, if you do the dry matter analysis, you will find that majority of canned foods are actually um, have a much higher amount of protein in them than, than kibble does. So if this is where people can get a little tripped up, because um, at a glance, um, not knowing anything about dry matter analysis and how um, companies will um, list them by volume instead of by looking at the actual food content within uh, the container, um, they can feel like they are providing the dog a much higher protein in a kibble and assume that a can is going to be more carbohydrate because the protein looks so low. Um, I've actually had a, a lot of discussions with folk who feel that feeding their canned, feeding their dog canned food is going to give their dog a lot of sugar. And it's generally the exact opposite. 
um, when it appears that 24% kibble is a much higher protein than 9% can, um, we're going to run into this issue a lot. But if we can understand that the guaranteed analysis on a can and a bag are both down by volume rather than by dry food matter, we can subtract the water content from both for a true comparison and find that the protein in the can is inevitably almost always higher. And an added benefit is that the protein in the can is likely to be cooked less and therefore more bioavailable to your dog. Um, I believe it, with most manufacturers, they cook their food right in the can at about 240 degrees. Um, some can cook it a little higher. I think it can go up to roughly 300 degrees, but it's generally only cooked the one time, aside from some uh, ingredients that are cooked previously. Uh, so you'll usually find that in a canned food, because they don't have to turn it into these um, little baked pieces like they do with the kibble, they don't have to add as much starch. So you're already taking out a lot of carbohydrates that way. They aren't going to have to add the binders quite like they do to a kibble um, in order to have it maintain that kibble shape. If starch and carbohydrates and binders were not added to your dog's dry kibble, it would not be kibble. <laughs> it would basically just be a puddle at the end of the extruder. Um, and you don't want to try and pour that out of a bag. <laughs> um, so when you're looking at something like a canned food, which does exclude all of that, that's why it is so uh, wet. And having a food that is moisture rich, that is cooked at a lower temperature, that doesn't have as much sugar, is always going to be superior to a dry sugary cereal type food. Um, so in, in vast majority of cases, with few exceptions, doing a canned food or adding some canned food into your diet and subtracting some dry will have a lot of health benefits. Let's talk about uh, the glycemic index next. For the purposes of helping you to narrow down decisions in choosing a dog or cat food, uh, I want to briefly bring up another factor that you may or may not have considered before, which is how sugary the carbohydrate is. Uh, every kibble has carbohydrates. Most foods have carbohydrates. There's absolutely no avoiding it in terms of a kibble. But if you can make some good educated decisions about what kinds you want in your food and how much is clearly too much. Uh, which I'll help you address in the second part of this podcast. Um, and at the end when I talk about ingredient splitting. So glycemic index of different carbohydrates that you might find in your food. Uh, ideally, you'd want a GI 55 or lower. And the glycemic index is just basically telling you how much a food is going to raise the blood sugar level that you have. Um, it's going to be very similar for a dog or cat. The numbers are going to vary depending on where you look, but gathering numbers from multiple sources, uh, including Harvard glycemic studies and various pet organizations, this is roughly going to convey uh, what they are saying about different carbohydrates and how they're going to raise the blood sugar level. Um, you'll be able to see that complex carbs are generally less sugary. Uh, which is why they're, they've been added to a lot of pet foods nowadays, and using items like oats, barley, sweet potato, and legumes will, uh, will not result in a large spike of your pet's blood sugar, um, whereas things like white potatoes, corn, wheat, and white rice um, may. 
That being said, this is just one of many factors to consider when looking at a food label. You don't want this to be the main thing that you're looking at, but it is something that you can consider when you're picking out a pet food. It is far more important to consider the quantity of a grain or non-grain carb that is in the diet and the safety, storage, and sourcing of those carbs than what the carbs are. Um, Especially if you are already just sort of taking out um, the really high glycemic carbs from what you're looking at, as well as the carbs that tend to have issues with aflatoxins like wheat and corn. If your dog's diet consists mainly of animal meat and is varied often, uh, no less than every three to six months, then whether it's peas or rice is not nearly as big of a a concern um, because you're getting your dog a variety. So things that would be considered high on the glycemic index would be white potato with a rating of roughly 82. Basically, you want it lower and not higher. So the closer you get to 100, the higher that food is going to spike your blood sugar. Next would be corn, not sweet corn, but just corn, uh, which has a rating of about 78. Then wheat, which has a rating of about 74. Then white rice, which has a rating of about 66. Mid-range level, uh, which would be brown rice with a rating of about 59. Oats with a rating of about 53 and sweet potato with a rating of about 50. And then on the low end of the glycemic scale would be peas with a rating of 48, lentils with a rating of 32, and chickpeas with a rating of 28, and lastly, barley with a rating of 22. So if you are looking for a low glycemic uh, grain-inclusive food, barley and oats are a great option. Uh, and again, it, the difference between grain and non-grain is less important than making sure that you are varying the diet. For me personally, I've had a lot of conversations about grain in versus grain out foods, and I have found people to be very surprised when I say, I really don't care whether it's grain or non-grain because you're literally just talking about whether or not the carbohydrate is considered a grass seed or a non-grass seed because it's the only thing that differentiates the two in most cases. Um, What I care about more is that you are feeding your dog a largely meat-based diet, that you're rotating the diet, and that it's as fresh and whole as possible. Whether it's an oat or a pea, I couldn't care less. (laughs) Um, But in the case of looking at reducing the sugar in your dog's food, These are some things you can consider, and I wanted to just kind of put that onto your radar. The next thing I'll talk about is ingredient splitting. So my last topic for today in this episode, the second half of uh, my podcast episode about reading a food label, is going to be about ingredient splitting. Basically, ingredient splitting is a food processing technique that's used to show meat as the first ingredient in the list, even though it may not actually be the main ingredient or bulk of what's in the bag. It's essentially the practice of subdividing a more abundant ingredient, typically an inferior one, into smaller portions. Pet food manufacturers know that phyto is mostly carnivorous, so Some use ingredient splitting as a means to get the meat content back up into that number one spot the customers are looking for. 
Let's first take a look at how the order of ingredients on the label is determined. Um, we talked about this before, pet food manufacturers are required by law to list the ingredients in a pet food in order of pre-cooked weight. This means that the ingredient weighing the most pre-cooked will be on the ingredient panel, will be first on the ingredient panel rather. Dogs can readily, readily absorb protein from meat because they can easily digest it. Their stomachs are built for that. But protein that is vegetable-based is much harder for a dog to digest, so much of it passes through its digestive tract unabsorbed. Vegetable-based protein sources are inferior when compared to meat-based protein sources uh, in pet food and sometimes for us too. But meat-based protein costs more than vegetable-based protein. If a dog food manufacturer is using a vegetable-based protein as a means of inexpensively boosting the overall protein level of a food, it will most likely weigh more than the meat content, bumping it down the list. But if that vegetable-based source can be split into multiple components, each of those individual components will weigh less than the meat source. Meat can then now be legally listed as the main ingredient, even if it isn't. Ingredients that are regularly split include corn, rice, and potatoes, which are considered inferior sources of protein. For example, corn can be split into corn gluten meal, corn flour, and whole ground corn. Rice can become whole rice, white rice, brown rice, rice flour, rice bran, and rice hulls. And then potatoes can end up split up as dried potatoes, potato starch, potato protein, and potato flour. Each of these ingredients, when separated into categories, reduces their pre-cooked weight, leaving meat as the most substantial and therefore first ingredient. Another factor that makes ingredient splitting even more troublesome is that uncooked meat can contain up to 75% water, as we talked about previously. Most likely after it's cooked, it is no longer, um, naturally, the main ingredient. This means that even the split ingredients now make up a larger percentage of the food. Meat that has been made into a meal, such as chicken meal, does not lose as much water uh, because it generally only has about 5% moisture to begin with as raw muscle meat, which has closer to 70. Some very common and frequently purchased pet foods that use ingredient splitting to push lower grade ingredients down the ingredient panel include, but are not limited to, Olroy, Purina, Purina One, Beneful, Gravy Train, and Rachel Ray. Um, this is just to name a few. Even companies that are considered premium will do this in some cases. And generally, you just have to try and find a food that, even if it is using ingredient splitting and you notice this, still has meat listed as the first several ingredients, which include both a meat and a meat meal. You're much more likely to be feeding your dog a meat-based protein at that point. There are a few brands out there that will list right on the bag for those who are aware of the type of protein that they're looking for, uh, that the majority of protein is coming from an animal source. This is what you want. A couple examples would be Nature's Variety Instinct, First Mate, and Nulo. Ingredient splitting is not illegal, um, but many consider it to be highly deceptive or unethical. This being said, when choosing pet food for your furry family member, please remember that even when meat is listed as the first ingredient on the label, 
Ingredients two through six are equally as important because of ingredient splitting. And everything after the fat source is generally going to be in very small amounts. So this is going to conclude the second half of how to read a heckin' food label. I hope that you have found this to be very educational, informative, that you learned something new and useful to you. Maybe you're excited to go run right out to a pet store and go start reading food labels and telling everybody what you know now and how you are becoming a wizard on your own pet's nutrition. I also apologize (laughs) for the sudden changes in volume and any loud noises I have made. Uh, I am in the process of working on how to get those out of my recordings. Currently, I am only using my cell phone uh, to record these podcasts, and in the future, I will have slightly better equipment at my disposal um, to be able to provide you a clearer, crisper, more uniform sound. Um, And I apologize if uh, any sudden noises disturbed you or ruined your zen while listening to this podcast. And again, guys, as always, stay safe, stay sane, and have fun practicing becoming a wizard.